You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Be finding your place, if you will, in the book of Romans, chapter 4. You might think it would be in one of the Gospels, but uh, we're going to be in Romans, chapter 4. And I'm only going to use one verse today, Romans chapter 4. This is a verse that has intrigued me at, at best. It's just trying to figure out exactly uh, how, what God says in this one verse really applies and how do you make sense out of what God was saying there. So if you're in, uh, if you're in Romans chapter 4. Look there with me. We'll, drop, we'll just drop down to the last verse. As we do this, just be reminded, the first 11 chapters in the book of Romans is all about salvation. God gave the first 11 chapters to show us uh, all the ins and the outs of salvation, why we need to be saved, why we need a Savior, what did Jesus do for us. And so it's a very doctrinal kind of a book, teaches you a lot of things that help straighten out a lot of other things that may not seem so clear in the scriptures. But you get down to chapter 4 and, and, and verse 25 there, you'll notice what I think kind of highlights chapters 1 through 11. Get into chapter 12 and it becomes very practical. It's about now that you are saved, now that you do know the Lord, um, this is how you're supposed to live for Him, uh, chapter 12 on. But all the way up to chapter 11, it's about salvation, how we get there, and I believe this verse could probably be maybe the central point of uh, what God's trying to say here uh, altogether. So look, if you will, verse 25. Notice what the Bible says here. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification? Of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So he was delivered, he was sent from heaven, he was given to us, we nailed him to a cross. We'll talk about that in a few minutes here. Uh, We sent him to a a grave for three days and nights, and under his own strength and power, the Bible teaches us that he rose up again for something called our justification. So with all of our offenses and with all of our sins upon him, he went to Calvary and suffered and died for things that you and I have done wrong. Do I need to go in and name all the things that we probably are very well aware of that that, uh, people have committed? Name any sin in the entire world, any sin that you've ever committed was laid upon Jesus Christ that day and he shed his blood for what we did wrong and then went to the grave for that. I often thought, I thought the blood was good enough. I, as a child, I would say, you know, hear all the songs saying about the blood of Jesus. And, uh, and I would rejoice along with everybody else when they would talk about how it would save us, bought our, our freedom and so on and so forth. That's what the blood of Christ did. But why then does it say that he was raised for our justification? And I want to share that with us here this morning some thoughts that I believe the Lord's given to me today. Let's bow together in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in the Word of God again today. And uh, Father, so humbling to my heart to handle 
the Word of God and to try to share uh, with anybody else the truths that are contained herein. But I'm asking that you'll give me your liberty and the anointing of God to be able to say exactly what really took place at Calvary and then at that tomb site, what it means to us today. And I'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. So you go back to the last word in that verse, and the last word is justification. And if you were, you had to, to save your life, could you give a definition of the word justification? What does it mean if God justifies me? And so if you can, if you can listen to this, it'll be a help to you through the rest of our message here today. Justification is like a two-sided coin. On one side of it, uh, as a legal term, To be justified means, on one side, to pardon and to clear from guilt and punishment. But then on the other side of the coin, it means to account as righteous by application of Christ's atonement. So if uh, if you're missing one side of the coin, obviously you don't have a coin, but uh, then you're missing justification. And if you can just understand it here like this, let's say uh, my dad used to tell me about when they moved into Kentucky many, many, many years ago, that it was just full of trees and, and woods and saplings. And he said, we knew we had to have, we had to raise our own food. That's how we lived was by what we could raise from the ground. And so they took their mule and they would, uh, first they'd cut the trees down, take their mule, wrap around uh, the uh, chain around uh, the roots and they'd pull the roots out and they'd clean this garden plot out. And you'd stand back after they, if you could imagine cleaning the garden out of everything that's not supposed to be there. I mean everything like the poison ivy vines and all the junk. Imagine, you know, a spot as big as our auditorium here, finally cleared out. And you look at it and all it is is black dirt. You'd be a fool to stand back and say, man, that's a great looking garden. Because there's no crops, there's nothing growing up. It's one thing to clear out what's wrong if you want to grow something good. But then it's another thing to be able to add to that garden plot the good things that will nourish your life and give you continue to give you the life that you need so badly so then they would plant their crops and their corn and my dad would teach me how to uh, hoe the garden and all, and all of those things that's the way justification is it's removing and people like to say and this is not a bad thing to put it this way to justify means to, to be made just as if I'd never sinned and that's okay to say that but it's not complete, just as if I'd never sinned, justified. I, I like that little saying, but all it does is clear the garden out uh, when you just use that terminology. Been made just as if I'd never sinned. You've got the, the, the sin that's been taken care of, but you don't have the righteousness of somebody else applied to your life that would still enable you to get into heaven. So it's one thing to be forgiven of your sin. It's another thing to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to your account. And that's what the word justification means. One more time, it's a legal term which means to pardon and clear from guilt and punishment and then to account as righteous by application of Christ's atonement. How does all that happen? So somehow, guys, we have to figure out some way to get rid of the, you know, the weeds, the the junk that's in the garden, so to speak. We have to figure out how to be forgiven and how to get rid of the sin that's in our lives. And then, and then somehow to get God's righteousness applied to me. And I'm here to tell you guys, 
you don't do that on your own. Nobody can rid yourself of your own sin, and there's not a person in the world, ever born or ever will be born, that can somehow magically just come up with the righteousness of God upon him by himself so that he's now uh, legally, so to speak, able to step into God's heaven. Nobody can do that by themselves. It takes some kind of intervention. You know why it does? Because number one, man has a very lethal problem. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible problem. If you're, if you're there in Romans already, for instance, let me show you how God tries to help us to understand how lethal a problem this really is. Go over to chapter 5. It should be one page to the right. Um, Romans chapter 5, and drop down with me in verse 12. Romans 5.12, please follow along with me if you will. Here's what God tries to describe to us to show us, you've got a major problem, bud. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Now, who was that one man? What one man brought sin into, uh, into the entire world? And that was Adam. You say, well, it was Eve, but of course, God uh, you know, pinpoints it down to one man. So wherefore, follow along, as by one man sin entered into the world, notice what happened because of that, and death by sin, and so, get this now, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So in other words, the minute Adam and Eve committed that first sin, and sin, uh, they, they gained a sin nature that day, Adam and Eve both did, every child that was born from that day on had a sin nature that was passed right on down to them. And uh, consequently, we have uh, people that are coming into the world born as sinners before you ever commit a sin. Get this. You're a sinner before you ever committed a sin. You're born that way. It's just, it's called a, a sin nature. I mean, in other words, who taught you how to lie? You remember the classroom you went to that taught you how to do that? I think I know where it is, actually. I mean, little babies are liars. Little babies can't even talk yet. You, uh, me and Yvette, we went to bed and, we, and our first child, now we got smarter on second and third, but our first child that we had uh, would uh, lay in bed. We'd lay her down and, and uh, we'd go to bed and about 10 minutes later, she would scream, which to me was, I'm dying. I mean, if you heard the scream, you'd just know our child is dying. And that's her voice, so dad and mom go running in there to see who is, uh, you know, trying to hurt our daughter. And uh, we pick her up real quick, and as soon as you pick her up, puts this little smile on her face, and she says those two words, goo goo gaga. And everything's fine, and they just smile, and I just wanted you to pick me up. You big liar. You were not dying. You lay him back in the bed ten minutes later. You know how the story goes. So babies know how to lie. They think they're getting it from the nursery. That's why I think it's the nursery workers. That's what it is, teaching them how to lie. We're just born with that. I mean, nobody had to teach you how to have a lustful spirit at times or to have bad attitudes. Those things come very naturally. And the word natural just means the way you were brought up, the way you were brought into the world. Naturally, we just have a sin nature, guys. And please understand this. That's a big problem. That's a lethal problem. That's deadly for every one of us. <clears throat> um, I remember uh, my mom raising five kids, and grandma was there, and dad would head off to work at Frigidaire in Dayton, Ohio. We were raised there in Franklin, Ohio. And, 
and uh, mom seemed to think I had a lot of energy, and, um, and I probably did, and I was, she got really good, she would call me Philip when things were good, but there were times mom used three names to call me out, and I, and I just need you to understand, I know why people are given middle names. It's for mothers when they know their children are in trouble. That's when they use your middle name. And she would call out, Philip Lee Spencer, and I knew what was coming. You just wait till your dad gets home. And uh, you know what was really bad about that statement was that uh, dad always came home. <laughs> no matter how much I prayed and begged God, Lord, let dad stay at work for the next two weeks, dad always came home. And I had a meeting with my dad, and uh, my dad walked me in. He says, Mom would say, Matt. And I'd see her whispering to him, and he'd say, upstairs. And I knew what upstairs meant. It was the meeting place. And we met, and we got things worked out. Just like my meeting with Dad to be able to handle what I had done wrong, guys, here's what you have to understand. We also have a meeting with the Heavenly Father for what we've done wrong. There's just no way out of it. Just like my dad always came home, I promise you, God's coming back one day. Jesus Christ is going to come back one day, and he's going to rapture up his children to go into glory, but he's going to bring up all the others as well who never knew Christ as Savior, friend. Listen, I promise you, there is a lethal problem, and it's a, it's a sin nature. Uh, we've got that uh, problem within every one of us, and the day that you would stand before God you know, son, get up, to your, get up to your room. But God says to us, I need you to stand before me. And on that day of what we call the great white throne of judgment, God would meet and he will meet with lost sinners who've never, you know, they never had this clear the sin out of your life and have the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to them. They're going to have to stand before a holy God one day. Now, you've got your Bibles. Hold your place where you're at and go back to the last book of the Bible Look in Revelation chapter 20 with me, if you will. Turn over there. You're going to get some of the gold off the edges now. Break open the Bible. Revelation 20. Let me show you what that day is going to look like. <clears throat> yeah, we're all going to stand before a judge one day. We will. Now, here's what the Christian needs to understand. While you're turning there, Christ already took my judgment for my sin. So the day I got saved, my sin has been paid for. But for those that don't know Christ as Savior, you've never had your sin debt taken care of. You've never had the righteousness of Christ applied to you. Here's what that judgment looks like. Standing before that father. Look in chapter 20, drop down to the last two verses. Listen to how God describes that. And death and hell, that just simply means all those who were in hell and had died a, a, a spiritual death. So all those people, and death and hell, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Wow, guys. Now look back up here, and we're going to get on to the next point. But do you understand how lethal that really is? This is not a fairy tale book. This is not something that's just a crutch for so weak people in the world that don't know how to really stand on their own. This is the Word of God, and this is really going to happen one day. Do you understand that? It really does. And uh, so for those people who have never, their sins are still within their own heart and soul, the blood of Christ has never cleansed away that sin, and His righteousness has never been applied to their account. 
then they stand before God at this judgment. You'll stand before that heavenly father one day. It's so much worse than Matt Spencer that would meet me up in the bedroom upstairs. This was the heavenly father being described here. And the people that are being cast into what is called the lake of fire, that lethal problem I've been trying to get us to understand, are those that have never met Christ in a personal way and never invited him to be their savior. We have a lethal problem the way we're brought into this world. God knows that. Because of that, number two this morning, God sent Jesus Christ to be the solution for both of those problems. He sent him to be the problem for my sin, that is in my heart and soul, the one side of the justification uh, coin. He wants to wash my sin away, but he also wants to apply his righteousness to me. So that comes, you back over in Romans now, did you hold your place there? Back over to Romans 4 again, down into verse 25. The Bible said there again, who was delivered for our offenses? And you can just hold on to that. Jesus was delivered for our offenses. Can you make that more practical? I think we can. Jesus was given for the things that I did wrong. Jesus was given to us to shed his blood here for every, you just name anything you can think of that was done wrong by you or by anybody else. The guys have been walking into these nightclubs and just murdering, uh, you know, dozens of people and into the schoolrooms and now into churches and so on and just murdering people. You mean, do you mean that the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away their murderous sin? Absolutely. There's not a sin in the world that Jesus Christ was not delivered for. Who was delivered for our offenses and, and for the things that we have done wrong? In the Old Testament, do you remember Abraham? being told by God, I want you to, I want you to take your, your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him upon an altar. And God wanted to prove to Abraham where his loyalties really lie or lay. And uh, God knew what was going to happen, but he wanted Abraham to see it himself. So to offer him up as a sacrifice, he bound his own son up there on the mountain. You remember the story? The wood was there. He had bound his son up and he picked up the knife uh, and when you would take a sacrifice in the Old Testament, I envisioned Abraham ready to strike it into the heart of his son. That's not the way you offered up a sacrifice in the Bible. The way you offered a sacrifice, would you take the blood of the lamb, you'd slice his throat and catch the blood, sprinkle it on the altar. And that was more typically what he was probably about to do was to take the life of his son. But do you remember what happened as he picked the knife up? The angel of God cried out, you know, to stop. And I I now see where your heart and soul is. And he says, the Bible says he looked behind him and what was behind him? The Bible said there was a ram caught in a thicket. And if I can just put it this way, it was a sheep to meet the need that was represented right there. A sheep that could take the place of his son. And that's what happened with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came down to this earth to take what you and I deserved. We deserve to be at that altar. We deserve to be on Calvary's tree. We deserved all the punishment and all the suffering that Jesus Christ went through. But Jesus said, I'll be willing to be the ram in the thicket, if, if you would like to put it that way. Allow me to take the suffering that you deserve. God came to be delivered for us, to provide a solution for our lethal problem. And then that's how we come to Christ's suffering for us at Calvary. He had to suffer for what we deserved. If he was going to be the payment for our sin, he had to go through, so to speak, our hell that uh, Christ experienced 
here on earth. I like what Hebrews 2.9 says. Listen to this. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, listen, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I love that phrase. And I, I, I've heard people try to des- describe what that means when it says taste death for every man. But I know what that means. It means every man. When Jesus died on Calvary and his blood was shed, it was shed for the sin of the entire world. It is sufficient for any who would come to him. And uh, it wasn't just for a certain group of people. Jesus Christ gave his blood for all. So in the typical Easter story, we know how he was taken. And you know what we typically would read in the Gospels about the Roman soldiers gathering him up and, and uh, you know, stripping of his robe, tying his hands up to the top of a post, taking that uh, whip and beating his back. And, uh, man, I was just reading about it again last night, how horrible Rome's crucifixions really were. It was ugly. And when I've said sometimes a man's bowels would protrude, uh, more often than not, they would. The, the skin and the muscle tissue was just ripped wide open uh, from the beating that they would take and the, the bloody face from his beard being plucked and the, and the pummeling of his face and on and on you and I could go. I rem- I'm reminded of another Old Testament story. Remember how Israel had sinned again? And God sent fiery serpents into the middle of all the congregation of Israel. And Moses saw that his people were dying and and he had mercy on his people. He didn't want to see Israel die. And he fell on his face and cried out to God and said, God, please have mercy on our people are dying. And God commanded him to take a, remember what it was he was supposed to raise up? A brazen serpent, remember that? An emblem of the, that looked like what was causing the problem. Well, these fiery serpents were biting people and they were dying. So here's what they did, and don't miss this. They took a hunk of uh, brass, and the brass didn't look like a serpent, and the way they made it look like a serpent was to take a hammer and would beat the brass into the right shape that it would take to make it look like, carve on it, beat it a little bit more, and then they would attach that now looking like a serpent piece of brass and attach it to a pole and raise it up on a pole. And the Bible said whenever men would look to the serpent, those who had been bitten by the serpent would then live. But did you notice in order to get that piece of brass into the right shape, it had to be beaten into that shape. And that is a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ went through for us. That merciless pounding of his face and of his body and all that he went through to become exactly what we needed for someone to take care of my lethal problem. I needed the sin of my life clean. That wasn't good enough though. I also needed the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he came to us and gave his life and took, guys, what we deserved And he was delivered for our offenses. And then he died. And he goes down into the cold, dark tomb. And now, with the penalty for man's sin paid, my sin has been paid for. It's been atoned. I I can be now redeemed by the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. But how can I know he's in the grave? How can I know that salvation has now been secured for me? Uh, how is the world supposed to have any kind of hope if their so-called Savior 
is still in the grave. Think about this. As far as the world knows, he's still in the grave, continuing to pay for our sins. And that's no God at all. Muhammad is still in the grave. Hare Krishna is still in the grave. And Buddha is still in the grave. How different is a man who called himself the son of God, who said he's dying for me, if he's still in the grave? Huh. Well, all that was settled and taken care of early on Sunday morning, praise God. That stone, you remember this? That stone was rolled away. Not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could get in and behold and see that the tomb really is empty. It wasn't so Christ could finally have a doorway to get out of that dark tomb. It was so Christians, so his people could go running in and see the proof that he really was the son of God. And now we can know that Christ really is the savior of the world and that he does provide for us everything that is needed for our salvation. Like I said, Muhammad is still in the grave. Hare Krishna is still in the grave along with the hope of all their followers. Buddha's followers' hopes are dashed away. But Jesus rose from the grave, and get this, to prove that he has the power over all our sins, over our death that took him to the grave, and now over Satan himself. Because when Christ came up from the grave, he proved now that we do we too can have victory over death that one day will come to us. And if you don't mind me saying so, um, this past Wednesday, a very dear member of our church and very dear friend of me and my wife, Lynn Chambers, went home to be with the Lord. And it won't be long before her body is laying in a grave as well. This Tuesday at 3 o'clock, for those who are able to come, we'd love to have you be a part of that and, and uh, as we celebrate Lynn's life at three o'clock here. But here's what I know without a doubt. So Jesus Christ um, paid my sin debt and my sin can now be washed away. But because of his resurrection, justification can be applied. I mean, I, I now know that the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I know he's real. I know that everything he ever said about being the equal with the Father I and the Father are one. I now know that everything Christ gained victory over at Calvary and in his resurrection, I now know that applies to me. I know that he was victorious over my sin. And I don't have to live under the power of sin any longer. Please understand that. Christians, you don't have to live under the power of sin any longer. Christ dominated our sin. Christ showed how much more powerful uh, that he was uh, than any sin that could be conjured up or your mind could even conceive. God has shown us in, in the grave and in the resurrection, he now has victory over my sin. He also has victory over the devil who loved seeing Christ suffer on Calvary, loved seeing his body put into the grave. But when he shook the ground and that earthquake took place and Christ resurrected, it showed even Satan that Christ has power over all the spiritual world. But then that last thing, praise God, that I learned that I got because of what Jesus did for me was when Jesus came up out of that grave, I know this one day, Lynn Chambers, Elmer Holso, Matt and Marie Spencer, and you fill in the blanks of your loved ones that knew Christ. I know the day's coming when their body's gonna also come up out of that grave as well because of what Jesus Christ secured for us 
at Calvary. That's what justification is all about. He died for my sin, but he rose for our justification. His righteousness has been proven that it's been applied to the account of every man and woman that calls upon the name of the Lord. And then last, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved to us and the world that our salvation is secured. And I know I've been saying that already, but if I can just reiterate it one more time, his resurrection was a proof that his work was accepted by the Father. I know his Father sent him down here to die for our sins, but his resurrection proved that the Father accepted all that he did for us. His resurrection is the living proof to me. Uh, With all of the uh, evidence that has been presented that the witnesses that saw Jesus Christ after he had rose from the grave, hundreds of people saw him. There's so much proof to prove that Christ really did rise from the grave. And now we have that proof as a testimony to the world. Peter tried to explain it like this in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I now have a lively hope. I'm not worried that, uh, yeah, I know he said he was Savior, uh, but he's still in the grave. But I know he's really the Son of God. I don't have to worry about that. Christ did rise from the grave and has purchased um, a lively hope, as Peter tried to explain. I mean, prior to the disciples realizing that Jesus had risen, I mean, they were still held in fear. They were discouraged and despondent. He's in the grave. All of their hopes had been dashed against the cross of Calvary. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You're yet in your sins. And they feel so hopeless. Without the resurrection, Christ would not have secured our victory over the grave. The grave would still be dominating even Christ himself. But once Jesus Christ rose from the grave and they had living proof, they saw and beheld him. Thomas could have stuck his hand in his side if he'd have wanted to. Their hopes were resurrected then right along with Jesus Christ. Romans 5, are you still over there? Look in Romans 5 one more time. Romans 5 and drop down to verse 10. Listen to how Paul puts it here. For if when... If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 1 Thessalonians 4, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's the promise that we have today. Salvation is secured. And praise God, my sins are gone. And their hope is still alive. Every one of the disciples, their hope is still alive. Heaven is more than just a myth that others try to say. And my God can do anything. Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. Listen to this carefully. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, listen to this, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And what that says is this, and let me wrap this up here today. Because of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, 
And because of the great power that it took to bring Jesus up from that grave, the Bible just told us that that resurrection power now works in the heart and soul of every Christian here today. I have that resurrection power right now. Well, what kind of resurrection power is that, preacher? I said it a while ago, but I'm not going to be bound up by the grave. The body may lay in the grave for a while, but I'm not going to be bound by the grave because of the great resurrection power that is applied to me. Satan may try to trap me today and, and hold me in bondage to his sin and so forth. Sin may try to hold me in captivity and cause me to have to do all kinds of things that I'm brokenhearted about and my family can't stand it because of what I'm doing and, or you can just go on and on about the things that are at work in your life. But as a Christian, when I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior, my sins, the one side of the coin, have been washed away and the righteousness of Jesus Christ has now been applied to my life. His righteousness lives in me and there's nothing that can hold me in bondage ever again. I remember the drug addict. I remember this 20 years ago and how much worse it would have to be today. I was reading an account of a young man who was just in misery and he had woke up one day and said to a friend, I don't remember who he was talking to, and he said, I can't wait for the day when I wake up and I don't have to go back to the drugs one more time because every day he woke up, that's where he had to go. He was in bondage to that. He could not break loose from that and I'll just tell you he never will break loose of that by himself only Jesus Christ justifying washing man's sins away applying his righteousness to my account can ever give you any kind of hope over sin and over Satan and over the grave so the obvious question today is guys hey Do you know Christ as your Savior? Are you still standing before God, like in Revelation 20, when they stand before that righteous judge, do you still stand before God even today as a sinner? And all the sin of your life never once paid for. You've never once cried out for the mercy of God and begged Him for His salvation to give you something that you could never do. Have you ever called out to the Lord for His salvation that He could bring justification to your life and if you haven't I just would tell you today during uh, we'll give an invitation here in just a minute which is simply an opportunity that if God's spoken to your heart today and you want to respond to him God can give you that victory through Jesus Christ in salvation that's for the man that may be lost number two for somebody that's here that says I'm saved and I know it but preacher I don't have that kind of victory working in my life Where's that resurrection power for me? Well, if you're saved, then that resurrection power is in you in the power of the Holy Spirit that works in your life. But you've got to yield to him and let Christ have your life. I mean, you can't just say my way and his way. It's yield myself to the Lord. If you really want that victory in Christ, I would challenge you even here today to come to a Savior who gave his life. And all that we described that he went through on Calvary so that you and I could live in victory. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what God's desire is for the Christian. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.